You are listening to a message that was given at Living Word Chapel, Oracle, Arizona. It is our hope and prayer that God will use this message to speak to you and enrich your life. For more information, visit lwcoracle.org. And, and uh, anyway, uh, I, I lean over to Marilyn, you know, you just... James, you just have it. I don't need to say this. You're leading the church. This is your, this is your legacy right here, all the people who are coming. But uh, it's just a joy to be here. It really is. And you, you guys are great friends. And we have, we've had a lot of good times together just laughing about you. And uh, <laughs> James says, you're not going to believe this. And, and I say, oh, yeah, I, I can believe that because I had some of those people, you know. Anyway. So now, I, I, I don't know if I said this last week, but now I, I get to come and, you know, I was a pastor a long time, 24, 25 years at a big church up in Mason, years before that working on a church staff and during that time planting this church. And, and now I just get to be a hero and an amazing teacher of God's word. And I, I don't have to deal with you people tomorrow. Okay, so... James gets to do that. So where's the grandma? Is grandma here? Where's Shauna? Is she here? Okay, well, hi, Shauna. She's in the cafe. Hi, Shauna. Okay. <clears throat> well, last week I uh, began a, a two-part series here called Ecclesia. And uh, Ecclesia is the Greek term that refers to the church, and it's not, a, it's not a building, it's a really interesting term because ecclesia really means those who have been called out. And uh, we talked about that last week, how in the book of Acts chapter 2, people are called out into a new community, and uh, we need Jesus to save us, but we need to save ourselves. And we do that uh, through the teaching of God's word, through new community, through giving generously. I, I kind of put in a plug for that last week, James. And uh, so this week I want to talk about the challenges with people in, the, in this new community, okay? How many of you have known other people? Okay, and how many of you have known other people who are awesome? Just the fewer hands. And then how many of you have known people who are not always so awesome? And uh, how many of you have prayed for God to take people, certain people out of your life. You've prayed that, you know, okay. So we're going to talk about that today because the church is this incredible new community, but all the people together is actually part of God's plan to make your life interesting and sometimes difficult because you don't need Jesus when everything in your life is happy and when all the people in your life worship you. You don't need Jesus for that. But you need Jesus for those people that you're thinking about right now that are driving you crazy. All right? <laughs> Paul. Paul is feeling the spirit of repentance coming right now. His wife is nudging him. Okay? Um, <clears throat> if you don't have people in your life who are driving you crazy, get married. Okay? <clears throat> It's a way to get closer to Jesus, okay? 
and then have children. That'll even get you closer to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. This is a good day. Thank you for this wonderful church. Um, Help me to do this in just 30 minutes. Amen. Okay. (laughs) I mean, this guy, he's got, he's, I know, he was, he used to flow in the God, and now he, he's wearing a suit, and he says, 30 minutes, we're going to be done in an hour. I said, what is this, a Baptist church, or, I don't know, whatever. No, 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 no. I know his point. I know his point. You know, uh, people have, have, have a shorter and shorter attention span. (laughs) Okay, so here we are. Let's dive right in. Life is only about only two things, all right? Life is about only two things. And what are those two things? God and people, all right? It's not just about your house, your car, your, your job. I mean, those things are all important. But somehow, in the middle of everything, people are in the middle of everything. And God really should be in the middle of all those relationships. Only two things. We, we need to get these right. If we get these right, everything else is going to be all right. But there's a challenge in getting things right with people, which is why Jesus gives us what's called the great commandment. What does Jesus say? Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, Jesus replied because someone asked Jesus what really matters, and he talked, he mentioned all the commandments. You know, I, I've been faithful to do all the right things, and so Jesus um, Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. And actually, this is from the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is three times as big as the New Testament. People have difficulty sorting through what's really important. I heard a Jewish rabbi uh, share one time that we don't spend a lot of time proselytizing because we have several hundred commandments and we're not able to keep them. And so we don't, we don't want to burden others. I mean, she was being funny, but she was trying to be funny. But anyway, so Jesus takes all of the Old Testament and boils it down, all of the, all of the Word of God, thousands of pages, and he says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. Put God first. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Now, I've heard, I'm sorry to say this, but I've heard some goofy teaching about how you really can't love your neighbor until you love yourself. You know how you love yourself? By loving your neighbor. By getting off of, off of yourself and getting away from yourself and dying to yourself and loving your neighbor. So you don't, you don't have to learn how to love yourself first if you really put your life out there to serve others. That's how you're going to start feeling significant. And it's more blessed to give than to receive, which James, you probably know, has nothing to do with money. It's a passage in the scripture that has to do with serving others. It's more blessed to give than to receive. But wait, but wait, but wait. Okay, there's something, there's one more thing, okay? There's one more thing that constantly gets in the way of God and others. And what would that be? Say it really loud. Me, yes. Not me, you. Okay? So, how many of you, you know, you've had issues in your life. How many of you have actually, how many of you have actually had yourself get in the way of your life? Anybody want to confess that? You get in the way, right? Because you don't know how to deal with this. And you don't know how to deal with God. And you don't know how to deal with change. 
So there's one thing that constantly gets in the way of God and others, and that's me. And this is the problem and the solution. The more I put me first, the more problems I have. The more I put God and others first, the more I become fully human and at peace with myself, and the only way I can escape the enslavement of me. There's one person that has driven me crazy more than any other person in my life, and that's me. Okay, And sometimes I feel enslaved. The only way I can escape the enslavement in me is to start thinking about God, putting God first, and putting others first in my life. Okay, so God's, what's God's solution to the me problem? What is God's solution to the me problem? It's the cross. Okay? The cross transforms lives. You know why the cross transforms lives? Because it crucifies you. It doesn't just take away your sins, but it takes away the power of your sins, your selfishness. If you've had a child, you know, they just had a grandchild. The first thing the kid does is scream his or her head off. Okay? And you spend the next 20 years trying to kind of purge them of the scream. You know, it's not about you. You've got to learn how to get along. You've got to share. Because you know the more selfish your children are, the worse their life is for them and others. The problem is that there are lots of adults who have never grown up. Which is why Paul says, he says to the Corinthians, we're going to talk about the book of Corinthians today and the body of Christ. He says to the Corinthians, as long as you're not getting along with one another, as long as there is strife and there are divisions among you, you're acting like children. You're acting like a bunch of babies. The sign of spiritual maturity is not how much you know the Bible, how many, how many times you go to church, or how long you pray. Really, you find in the book of 1 Corinthians and in virtually every other place in the Bible, the sign of spiritual maturity is submission to God and the crucifixion of yourself and the ability to love others, even the ones that you have every reason to hate. All right, so how does the cross? Look at the cross transforms lives. The cross transforms lives because it takes away the power of sin in me. Now I want to show you a passage about the cross. And this is from the book of Ephesians. The whole book of Ephesians really is about the church and how God is bringing people together, Jews and Gentiles, into a single community, people who are at war with one another, people who are prejudiced toward one another. And Paul talks about the cross here. Usually when we talk about the cross, we think about how Jesus died for my sins and now I can go to heaven. But there's a passage here about the cross that says nothing about forgiving your sins or making sure that you can go to heaven. There are other things that happened at the cross. Look at this. It's one of the most amazing passages in all of the Bible. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13, For he, could we have the pop that up? For he himself is our, what? Our peace. Who has made the two groups one. Now, Paul is talking here about Jews and Gentiles, but the two groups could be blacks and whites, browns and blacks, uh, browns and whites. It could be men, women. It could be, it could be wildcat fans and sun devil fans. All right? Yeah, see here the moon? 
I've got to love those people. They're, they're fans of the devil, those people up there in the north. Okay, So by making the two groups one, and he has destroyed the barrier. And what's the barrier? What is it that keeps us apart? The dividing wall of hostility. Not the differences. He doesn't turn Jews into Gentiles and Gentiles into Jews. He doesn't turn blacks into white people and white people into black people. He doesn't turn men into women and women into men. He leaves all the differences there to aggravate us. All right? And, but he, he's made the two one by, de- by destroying the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commandments and its regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. We talked about that last week. See in the book of Acts chapter 2 how everybody now is coming together in a new humanity, a new community. It is a new heavens and a new earth right now. See, His purpose was to create in himself one, and that's a key Uh, a number, one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body, we're going to talk about the body of Christ, to reconcile them both to God through the cross, to reconcile them to God and to one another by which he put to death their hostility. Um, I heard Tim Keller speak in in New York uh, just um, about a month ago. And and he said this, our identity, you know, the thing that sort of makes me who I am is based on all of my, it's based on difference. It's based on how I do in school. It's based on how I do in the workplace. It's based as a pastor on how many people I have in my church or don't have in my church. It's based on the people I have I'm friends with, you know, we love to drop names. We met this person, we met that person, we know this. You know, we are, our identity, the thing that makes me me, is the fact that I'm different from all of you. And because I have sin in me, that difference creates pride in me and hostility toward you because we're different. He said this, difference is important to me because it defines me. Where, where I am in the pecking order of anything is what gives me my identity. And so what happens is when you have people come into your life who are different, it actually challenges you at the core of who you de- define yourself to be. And this is why we have to go to the cross with Jesus and die out to ourselves and value others, the Bible says, more than we value ourselves. Okay, so I want to share now some ridiculously simple and practical advice about, about true religion, what it really means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to take up your cross, and how to relate to all the people around you. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with a church that has lots of problems, lots of division, lots of immaturity. And I'm not suggesting that this church has a problem with immaturity, but wherever you have people, you have, whether they're toddlers or elders, there's conflict. There's conflict in families. Some of you are not looking forward to Thanksgiving because your family's going to get together. And God have mercy on us. All right? So, so, uh, so the church in the ancient Greek city of Corinth was a church in trouble. People weren't getting along, and they weren't behaving themselves, and those two things usually 
go hand in hand. There, are lots, there were lots of me problems that everybody thought was about other people's problems that they couldn't get along with. And Paul, Paul's simple but hardly superficial solution, look at Paul's simple solution, this next verse, okay? I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Okay, so the Corinthians have problems, and Paul is saying, I don't want to hear about the problems. I don't want to hear about the differences. I don't want to hear about what this person did or that person did. I want to hear about Jesus and how Jesus has the power to do amazing things in your relationships with others. I don't just need Jesus to get to heaven. I need Jesus to release me to love the most difficult people in my life. And that's going to be the mark of whether or not Jesus is Lord of your life. Okay, So 1 Corinthians is the place in the Bible where Paul introduces us to the metaphor of the body of Christ, although he mentions it in Ephesians. Jesus wants to create in himself one new humanity, one in one body. And here are some ridiculously simple and practical advice. Okay, remember, now it's not about you. Uh, about you sitting here in church doing religion. It's about others and the cross, not just between you and God, but between you and the person across the room that you can't stand. The cross reconciling us to God and reconciling us to one another. Peace on earth. We're coming into that season, right? Peace on earth. Not just peace in your heart, peace on earth. So now, some observations. Number one, the Holy Spirit does not make us the same He makes us one without taking away a single difference. He doesn't make us the same. He makes us one. Now, I am, I'm in my carnal flesh, in my uncrucified me, I sort of want you to be more like me because it would be easier for me if you were more like me. The fact is, it's going to make life worse if everybody's like me. Right? Some of you have said to your kids, I wish you were more like. It's the worst imaginable thing to say. I mean, what you are really doing is you're spitting on God's creation. And God made people different on purpose. Okay? Different isn't wrong, it's just different. The beauty and deep worth of difference is rooted in the triune nature of God and is in fact his image in us. Look at, look at uh, uh, look at this next verse. Uh, if we get the uh, next slide up there, okay? Um, just as there's one body... I'm sorry, I, I moved ahead just a little bit. Uh, just as there's one body, though, it, just as a body, though one, has many parts, all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form what? One body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, black or white, men or women... Young or old, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. The spirit makes us one without taking away the differences. So number two, number two here, I, skip, I was skipping ahead. Sorry about that. Number two, God made us different on purpose. Different isn't wrong. It's just different. But it's wrong if it somehow threatens you. Then it becomes wrong. Okay, so the beauty and the deep worth of difference is rooted in the triune nature of God and is in fact his image in us. Look at Genesis chapter 
uh, 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God, this is a very strange passage, but it's really cool. Then God, okay, God, that's the Greek, uh, the, the Hebrew word Elohim. And the Hebrew word Elohim, it's really stra- it's strange. The only Hebrew word in the Old Testament for God is plural. Like cherub and cherubim, seraph and seraphim. You make a word plural in Hebrew not by adding an S, but by adding an I-M. So here in the Hebrew, the only word in the Hebrew for God, whenever you read God, the word God, anywhere in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew, it's the word Elohim, which is really a plural word, gods. Okay, so then the gods, then gods said, okay, let us make, let what, let what? Us make man, mankind in what? Our image. So th- there's a plurality about God, and from the Christian perspective, we call it the Trinity. So you have the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. You have three persons, unique and different, who are communing with one another and talking about creation. And the image of God is community. The image of God is not just holiness or creativity. The image of God is this this community, the three persons of the Godhead who are, in fact, one God. And... You know, this is a strange word in the Hebrew because the Jewish religion in the ancient world was the only religion that was monotheistic. It was the only religion where they actually believed in only one God. And yet the only word they had for God was plural. Here's the great uh, Jewish statement of faith, the great Hebrew statement of faith. Hear, O Israel, it's called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, for the Lord... That's Yahweh. Your God, that's Elohim, is one Elohim. One Elohim. The word Elohim is plural. For the Lord, for Jehovah, Yahweh, your gods, is one gods. That's how it reads literally. And so now the God say, the God says, the Trinity says, let us make man in our image. And it says, so God, Elohim, created mankind in his own image. In the image of God created he what? Them. Male and female, he created them. Do you know what the image of God is? Male and female. Community. And it's most personal, intimate context. Now, you know, God saw Adam in the garden... And uh, everything that God created was good, but when God saw Adam in, in the garden by himself, he said, it's not good for man to be alone. You know, Adam, Adam's actually, he's got a pretty cool life, man. He's got all these animals. He's petting the goats. You know, he's taking care of the citrus and the figs and what have you. And God looks down and says, this is not good this man needs a woman to make his life interesting. <laughs> because he's never really going to he's not really ever going to grow up until he has a woman who amen <laughs> who speaks into his life, okay? Um uh so God says he needs a help meet. Now, help meet sounds kind of like servant. You know, like, 
help me fix my meat. You know, so, but the Greek, the Hebrew word, Azer, or Ezar, is, means helper. That is, it's mentioned in regards, the word that's mentioned in regard in Genesis chapter 2 to Eve, the man is not going to make it alone, okay? And this is really a cool interpretation. A friend of mine shared this with me. It, it's not good for man to be alone. Um, the helper is his savior, the one who will help him make it in life. She is the crown of creation. And it's going to be through the ancestor of this, I'm sorry, the descendant of this woman that the Messiah will be born. In other words, it's through the woman that the man is going to be saved. She's not just a servant, okay? Um, it, it's man's, God says it's not good because man's not going to make it on his own. We need each other. Just as the triune God needs the three persons, and they're one. Jesus, David uses the word Azer in the Psalms when he cries out to God, his helper, in his time of need. He needs God to be his savior, not just his servant. That's how the word is used. Well, we're talking about the body of Christ, okay? God made us different on purpose. This is the body. Um, and number three, we're going to come to number three here. You can never say, I don't matter. You can never say that. I don't matter here. People say, oh, you know, I, I'm not worth anything in this church, you know, and some people are going to give tens of thousands of dollars to this campaign, and I only have a, a few sticks of gum. And um, I, I don't really, you know, no one knows who I am, and no one pays attention to me, and I don't really matter. What does Paul say about this? Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. You can't just check out. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And this is about people comparing themselves with one another and the differences. You know, I'm not an eye, I'm not an ear, I'm not an important part of the body, I'm just like cartilage in the nose, you know. I'm not important. And what you're doing is sometimes you put others down because they're not as good as you are. Sometimes you put yourself down because you're not, you think you're not as good as other people. Okay? Um, you are important to God. Would you say that to the person next to you? You are important to God. Amen. You are important to God. God loves you. Uh, uh, you are important to God, and so is everyone else around you. Now, number four, you can never say, this is one of my favorite parts, I don't need that person in my life. You can never say, I don't need that person in my life. How many of you have said that about somebody in your life at least once? Come on. If you don't confess your sins, you're going to die before you get home today, okay? So, <laughs> how many of you have said, I don't need this in my life? How many of you have said that? All right. That's sort of a godless statement because nothing happens by accident, right? All right. I don't need that person in my life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here, this next passage. Uh, now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, okay? Um, can we go up to the next the verse, the passage there? 
The next uh, slide. The eye cannot say to the hand, okay, what, what can the eye not say? I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. <laughs> now, why would Paul say this? Because there were, this, this, is, this problem is 2,000 years old. Why would Paul say this? Because there were Christians in the church in Corinth that were basically dismissing one another and saying, I don't really need you. Why can we not say this? Because this is the way God has planned it. Okay? Um, here's how we say it to God. Okay? <clears throat> you know, we say to others, I don't need that person in my life. And we say to God, Jesus, you have to take this person out of my life because I can't deal with it. Or here's, here's a better way we pray God, deal with my neighbor. God, deal with my teenage son. Deal with, deal with my ex-husband. You, you can do anything you want, God. You, you need to do whatever you need to do. You can, I, I can hardly say this, but God, you, you can kill him if you want. Um, I can't kill him because I'm a Christian, but God, I know you feel the way I do. Get rid of that person, in Jesus' name. How many of you have tried to pray somebody out of your life? Seriously. Or, or to deal, God, deal with them. Where in the Bible does it say we're supposed to pray to God to deal with people that annoy us? Jesus says, pray for your enemies. Not against them. And then he says, and if they ask for money, loan them money. That's the real test of whether or not you totally trust God. So... If you really believe God, I want you to think about the person who brings you the most grief in your life. On the way home, stop at the ATM, get some money, and then go over to their house and give them the money. Tell them, I learned this in church today. Okay? I mean, it's, it's an impossible thing. So when Jesus says to Peter, Peter says, how many times must I forgive uh, my brother? Seven times? Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And you know what Peter says? Increase our faith. That's what the, the disciples say, increase our faith. Because these things are humanly impossible. We need Jesus. We pray for people, you know, for God to remove people from our, our lives. And I want you to know, if you're actually successful in praying somebody out of your life, there's a whole, a long line of people who are waiting to fill, the, to take the place of that annoying person. This is what God has planned. Okay, number five, because no relationship is random. In Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 18, it says, but in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. What does Paul mean? He's not talking about anatomy. He's talking about people who are not getting along, and he's telling them no relationship in your life is random. You know, you can choose the person you're going to marry, but you can't choose her mother. <laughs> we were at a wedding yesterday. There were like 200 people, extended family, divorced, remarried, 
tattooed friends from, from, the, from this dance company. Uh, the young woman has a dance company. We were at this wedding. And, you know, you can choose who you're going to marry, but you can't choose all your lover's friends. You can choose where to live. You can pray for God to give you a house, but you'd never thought about the people who already live next door. They're going to drive you crazy. Or you pray for a job. You can choose whether or not to take the job, but you can't choose who's going to be working with you or for you. Or are you going to be working for? In fact, you really don't have much control over your life. You can brush your teeth every day, but that's pretty much where it ends. You know? You get dressed, brush your teeth, and then you get in the car, and you realize everybody else gets in their car. You have no control over your life. This is why we need Jesus to be Lord. You have no control over those relationships. But when God introduces you to very difficult people, he smiles. You cry, he smiles. (laughs) You can choose to have children, but you can't choose how those children are going to be. I told my daughter-in-law when she had her first child, and I just sometimes say things I should never say. She was nursing the baby, and I said to her, Kate, do you... Do you hear that sucking sound? It's going to last at least 20 years. (laughs) How many of you can say amen to that? Yeah, so... (laughs) It's not random, okay? This is God's plan, okay? Um, So... um, Number six, the people that we think we need least, we actually need the most. Is that annoying? Okay, look what Paul says in verse 22. Um, God placed everybody in the body just where he wanted them to be, and he says, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Those parts of the body that seem to be weaker, are indispensable. Just talk to people who have a severely handicapped, uh, disabled child, someone with Down syndrome. And if you're looking in from the outside, you say, "How, how how does the family live with that? And they'll talk about how profoundly they have discovered the, the reality and the presence of God as they've learned how to serve. You know, it's that sometimes the person that you, you think you need the least is actually God's gift to you because that person is going to give you a chance to be everything God wants you to be, which isn't always easy on the me in me. Number seven, different people have to be treated differently, which puts the pressure on me to understand you more than I need for you to understand me. You know, some people say, well, I just treat everybody. I treat everybody the same. They have to deal with it. You know, you're brain dead if you say that. Because you don't treat everybody the same. You don't treat an infant the way you treat a toddler, the way you treat a teenager, the way you treat an adult, the way you treat a woman, the way a man treats a woman. Just treat women the way you treat your butt, your butts. You know, men, men love each other and express that by insulting one another. You know, I've said things to my friends, and my wife says, how can you say that? Because if I don't say it, he'll think I don't like him. Okay? 
I got to be rude, you know? But you try to be rude, to, to, you know? I, I did an ordination service for, for a woman in our church, and she said, please, don't, don't say the, the sometimes not funny things that you say uh, during my ordination service, okay? So you, you can't treat everybody the same. You can't treat someone in a wheelchair the way you treat someone who's not in a wheelchair. But the, cha- the challenge then is, what is that person's need? The Bible says, raise up a child in the way that he should go or she should go, and when they're old, older, they won't depart from it. And there's a, there is a shade in the Hebrew text there that says, really, raise a child in, 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 in the way they've been created. And when they're old, they won't depart for it, from it. You, to raise your children well, you have to understand what they're like. We have three kids. You wouldn't think they came from the same family. All right? But you, all, you, want, you, know, you, want, to, you want clones. You don't want children. So different people have to be treated different ways. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable, we treat with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. That's an amazing statement. Clap your hands, all you people. Clap your hands. Okay, now try to clap your hands this way. Now... It hurts, doesn't it? You're more careful. Why? Because you don't treat the back of your hand the way you treat the front of your hand, the palm of your hand. And this is what Paul is trying to tell us. Now, finally, and it's over. Number eight, all of this is humanly impossible. Okay? We need Jesus and his cross to save us in troubled relationships as we need Jesus to save us from our sins. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 25. There should be no division in the body, but all its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. And how is that possible? It's only possible through the power of the cross that destroys In me, the dividing walls of hostility. Could you please stand? Um, Could you could you take the hand of the person next to you? And if you don't know them, and that creeps you out, don't take their hand. Okay. And this is always, uh, you know, tough, you know. Um, you know, you're holding the hand of someone who is created with you to be the image of God. And now could you say this prayer after me, Heavenly Father? I'm here now in this moment. It's not, ac- it's not an accident. It's not random. The people in my life are not random. The people around me, it's not random. I'm right where I'm supposed to be. And God, 
You haven't just called others to bless me. You've saved me so I can bless others. Fill me with your love. Sometimes it's impossible. Humanly speaking, it's impossible for me to love those who cause me pain. But Jesus, you love them. You said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And we ask, Father, forgive them. Love them. Give me grace. Change me. It's supernatural for me to love others. But it's possible because with you, all things are possible. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This has been a message from Living Word Chapel. We hope that you've been blessed by it. Make sure you check out lwcoracle.org for more information.